Greetings from Forefront Church in Chard in the Deep South. Uh, I did actually mention to a group of our young leaders and our leadership team last night that I was coming here this morning and they specifically said, please send our greetings and our blessings along. So I've done that for you as well this morning. It's a joy to be back. Uh, My name is Nigel, if you missed that earlier, and I am from Forefront Church down in Chard and I was here uh, in May. It just seems like a few weeks ago. It's quite astonishing. Now then. Let's see if I can make this mouse work. Oh, okay. Right, sorry. Now, uh, about a week ago, I was writing to Paul and saying, as as I was coming here this week, I have some photographs to show you, and therefore it would be great if the lighting was a bit subdued and that I would pray for a gloomy, dark day. As a result of which, we got the first sunshine for about a week. So uh, that, that clearly didn't work too well. But I will have a few photos later. But I wanted just to start mostly because of the way I put the title of the talk together uh, with a few thoughts for Christmas, because as Christmas is coming, one of the great joys is we all have a bit of time, we get together in one another's houses, and we play games, right? I'm sure you do that here. I do that. So having had 20-odd years in Africa with no television, we used to play a lot of games. And one of the games that's a lot of fun at Christmas is based on this old concept of rebuses, sort of picture words that make phrases. So what phrase is that? Anyone? Feeling under the weather. Very good. You're going to be very quick, right? Okay, so let's see. What about that? Well, that's a negative view of it. Hope is rising. I know. (laughs) I think you would have it going down the other way. Oh, very good. You've obviously done this a lot. Getting ahead of myself. And there we have light in the darkness. And that's the theme of my talk this morning. So if earlier on we had a little light relief, I'm hoping now that we'll get light relief. Oh, thank you for that one. It's an interesting season because we have the advent calendars. We decorate our trees with with lights. We have lights up everywhere. You go in every shop and they have the lights there. This was a beautiful illustration this morning. Light is a a major theme in the season. But you don't get light unless you get darkness. Remember the uh, the words in the song there that darkness tries to hide from the light. A very interesting phrase that darkness flees away when light comes into a place. And these are dark days. Frankly, they're quite dark. We hear nothing on the news now but terrorism and war, and it's no longer that the war is over there somewhere and that the terrorism is far away, but actually it's prevalent everywhere. I've just come back from a training course in Australia based around the concept that many of the countries that I go to visit for my work are now places where you can get into a lot of danger very quickly. And actually, as I was explaining earlier on um, to one of you, I threw myself down in one of the exercises where we were under fire trying to escape from shooting and I cracked a rib on an apple in my pocket. So you just, you just never know where the danger is going to come from and I, I've been told that I'm the only person on that course ever to have a fruit-related injury. So um, darkness, terrorism, war, very close to us. It seems as though a restraint has been taken away on human behaviour. And there's a a strand of theology about evil, that evil would be prevalent everywhere if God was not holding it back, and that at times God allows people to see just what is in 
the human heart by taking away a restraint. And we're seeing something new and something very dark out of the hearts of human beings around the world. This is a time of austerity. We're hearing that all the time, and people are very worried. When you're not looking at news about terrorism, you're looking at news about austerity and how our government services are getting more expensive to run and how difficult it is for people to live, and the difference between the poor and the rich is getting greater very fast in most countries around the world. In fact, I think now even Sweden. So every country around the world, the difference between rich and poor. If you've been watching the news about Paris this week, you can see global warming and the difficulty that our leaders, who have a very short-term mandate, have in getting to grips with serious problems facing the planet that require long-term interventions, that it's an easy way to lose votes, they think, to make the kind of decisions necessary. And it could be that our future generations will face the consequences of this lack of political leadership. Great darkness around the world. In our own lives... Many people struggle with unemployment. Many who do not are in jobs that are not paying well enough or are not able to make ends meet or somehow are very insecure. The whole concept of zero-hours contracts and the numbers of people who cannot be sure that they will get work for a week and sustain their families. And others who are in good jobs but are just completely overwhelmed by all the pressures that are upon them. And there's a sense of struggle and stress and darkness in that. Some of our young people at the moment are facing examinations. My own daughter going into examinations this week and constantly being told by her teachers that her entire future depends upon the outcome of these examinations and that she could completely ruin things for the future if she does badly. If any young people are listening to this on the recording, that is a lie. That is not true. God is in control of the future. So the Christmas season isn't necessarily... A time of light. In fact, Christmas can make some people's darkness seem even worse. There are many lonely people in our community. There are people out around us who are lonely at the Christmas season. And for them, it's a dark season. People who are separated from their families. People whose families are broken up or they've gone off to work somewhere else. People with regrets for decisions that they've made in the past that are always brought back to them at the Christmas season. People for whom the money is going to run out. People who are bereaved and who've lost people close to them. This can be a season of darkness, humanly speaking. There is light in the Christmas message, and there is light for all, but it does not come from the television and from the family gathering around the table and from the traditions. It does not come from presents and from the shops and the lights. It doesn't come from Christmas trees and it doesn't come from candles. That's not the source of the light that makes the difference for all. Now light is important in the Christmas story. We've heard about it a little bit this morning and we've sung about it. The angel Gabriel appears in light and shines on Mary. A chorus of angels blazes out with the reflected glory of God over the shepherds and tells them to get get themselves off to Bethlehem and see what is happening in a stable there. The wise men follow a star which guides them to the same town, to a house in Bethlehem where they're going to find the baby and the mother and the father. And there are, we, we imagine in our popular imagination, lamps and candles in the stable. Any farmers here? I think that's probably quite unlikely, personally, in the Middle East, in a hay-filled barn. 
but you never know. Lamps and candles in the stable. And it's all a reminder of what the prophet Isaiah had said in his prediction 700 years before. And in chapter 9, there we go, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, we get this promise. And one of the promises is that I have to keep walking over here to get in range of the clicker. No, you're going to have to do it for me, I'm afraid. Oh, oh, there it is. Okay. So Isaiah's promise. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Light has dawned on people in darkness. Why? Because unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And that verse we had earlier on where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He's speaking directly to this passage where the people, and it geographically defines where Jesus would be walking, the people would see a great light. And that light would not be from meals and traditions and festivities and religion. It wouldn't be from present giving. It wouldn't be from any of those things. It would come through one who would be a child, one who would be a son, the son of God. To us, a son is given, promised in Isaiah. I want to tell you a story about fathers and sons and about light, and about rescue. And this takes place about 10 years ago. It's a true story. I was there. It's in a place called Mirarani, right? Mirarani, which is a remote settlement in Tanzania, far, far out of Arusha. You'd have to travel for about a half a day by car, probably about a day by bus. And it's just out in the middle of nowhere. And Mirarani is a place where people, tens of thousands of people, come from all over Africa. And they build little shacks and they dig holes. And they dig holes down in the ground for about 30 meters. And then once they're 30 meters down, they then dig tunnels out, hundreds of meters. Like mining 200 years ago, I was discussing with someone earlier. They are miners and they're coming to mine this stuff called Tanzanite. Clue is in the name It only comes from Tanzania. It's a blue gem that actually is a dirty, dark brown until you heat it, and then it goes blue and becomes a precious gemstone. And you can buy Tanzanite jewellery here in the UK. And because you can buy it, they have to mine it. And they come from all over, and they dig these incredible holes in the ground to mine it. They dig by hand. Oh, there we go. They dig by hand shoring up the tunnels with wooden beams as they go. And so they're shoveling down. They've got, they've got drills and shovels. Those are my feet that you can see there. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most terrifying days of my life, going down into this tunnel, into this hole that just goes down and down and down. The deepest of the mines have compressors at the top. They buy compressors and they pump air down because once you've gone down 30 metres and along 100 metres in a dusty, dirty environment... You can't breathe anymore, and so they pump the air down. And if the electricity goes off, deepest, darkest Tanzania, remember, this is 15 minutes and you're dead. And so they have generators at the top, and the generators are keeping the compressors going, the compressors are pumping the air down, and these guys go down into these tunnels. There's a special premium paid on workers of the age of seven years old and above. They call them nyoka, which is the Swahili word for snake. These are the snake boys, and they typically are boys. 
And what their job is, is they go down with the guys who are drilling, 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 digging, 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 and then they crawl to the very end of the tunnel and they wriggle into the smallest space that's there because the big men can't get in, and they plant dynamite at the end. And then they light the fuse, and then they wriggle back out, and they crawl all the way back down the tunnel, or if they're quick, they do, and they try to get back up the shaft before the fuse goes and the dynamite blows up. And then the guys go down and they're digging out the rubble from that, looking for dynamite. The Nyoka, the snake boys. It's a very dangerous environment, as you can imagine. And if that electricity fails, they're going. And when the explosions go off, the whole roof of the tunnel, which is only about so high, can fall in. And if you are on the wrong side of a fall of the roof, you can suffer. And some of the Nyoka, because they know what they're after, don't come back down the shaft. They come back as far as they think is safe, and then they hide so that they can be the first to go back to where the rubble has fallen down, because if they manage to find one of these bits of gemstone and perhaps secrete it about their persons in some way, or possibly swallow it if it's small enough, they could get out with that, and that could make them a fortune. They could actually do really well out of that. That's what it looks like when you're down the end of the tunnel. All that dust thick in the air, almost every movement you make just stirs up this dark grey crystalline dust. And they have their little torches strapped to their helmets, and there they are. They have slightly better equipment if they've ever made a find, because they spend on that. So this is a story about Joseph. Ooh, hang on, that went too fast. Can we go back a picture or two there? I'm going to leave you to click it. You are doing, I think, yes. Joseph was 14 years old when I met him. We should see a boy with a dusty grey face in a moment. I'm not sure. And he was telling me a story about when he was 11. So jo- there he is. Joseph had been a nyoka. Had been a, he still was a snake boy. He should have been in school, but he was a snake boy. And he told me this story about when he was 11 years old. He and his father went to the bottom of the shaft. There were a bunch of other men there as well. And they had dug a kind of a round hole for the dynamite at the far end of the tunnel. And Joseph went down the tunnel and he had his dynamite and he put it, he was going to put it in the hole. But as he got there and as he was putting the dynamite in, there was a huge cracking noise. Awful billow of dust. And he realized that the roof had fallen in behind him. So his father was at the far end with the shaft and he was on his own with the dynamite at the end of the tunnel. He panicked. He jumped up. He hit his head on the, on the roof. And the torch went out. Out. There we go. <laughs> and try as he might, in his panic and fumbling around, he wasn't able to switch the torch back on. He was in complete darkness. He listened. And he realised that the hissing sound from the air pipe that was being pumped by the compressor stopped. He was in complete silence. Just a trickling noise of gravel falling down from the roof. He knew he was trapped in the darkness without air with nothing to listen to. He says he screamed. He was certain he was going to die on his own and as soon as he could get the dust out of his throat he screamed. And then he heard a wonderful sound. He heard the sound of his father's voice shouting. 
And his father said, Joseph, there is a way you can get through. Just come. But Joseph is petrified. He can't see anything. He doesn't know where he is. And he shouts back, I can't. It's black. It's dark. I can't see anything. But his father says, come, I have light here. Joseph said, I don't know how to get to you. I'm too scared to move. What if the roof falls in? I don't know how to get there. And his father says, just take one small step toward my voice. Just take one small step towards where you hear me calling. And Joseph takes a step. And he shouts, I took a step. Where are you? And his father says, well done. Well done. Shouts encouragement. And says, now, take another step towards my voice. And Joseph takes another step. And encouraged by his father's call all along this tunnel, he takes step after step through the darkness and the dust, bent over, and finds his way back to where the rubble had all fallen in and closed off. And his dad's shouting through and says, there's a hole, there's a hole at the top. And Joseph scrabbles away at the top of the pile of rubble and eventually manages to pull it away and wriggle through. And he falls through and he can see his father's torch shining. And his father comes and grabs him and hugs him and says, you're safe now. You're safe now. You're safe. The light fills him with confidence. The light changes everything. It's completely different to being trapped and on your own in a lonely, dark place where you can barely breathe and there's nothing to hear. The light means safety. The light means rescue. The light means Joseph will not die on his own in a mine shaft, but he will live. The light means he won't die but he will live. Nobody here has a job like Joseph's, I'm hoping. Not for a few hundred years in this country. But each of us is doing our best in a world that quite often feels pretty dark and pretty lonely. Each one of us is struggling with things that sometimes leave us feeling cut off. Sometimes it's very, very hard to reach God in our prayers, in our reading, in our own effort and our own strength. Sometimes life is tough. Sometimes it feels like the roof is falling in. You look back behind you and you see disaster. You look ahead of you and it just looks like everything is going to start collapsing around us. And most of us, even if that is not true, most of us have a strong sense that there is more to this life than just struggling on on our own in the darkness, hoping to get through at the end. That there's something that we are here to achieve. There's something greater for us to do than just scrabbling around in the dust until eventually we die. And that's the Christmas message. God, the Father of us all, is calling out to us through those individual darknesses, through that dark and lonely place that we're in. Take one small step toward me. Just take a step toward my voice. Take a step towards where you're hearing me call you. One step nearer to the light. Then another. How do we get to him? Take another 
small step towards the light through the darkness. We're not facing it on our own. Come, he says, I have light here. There is a way, even if you can't see it, even if you don't know it. We're not trapped and beyond hope. We're not doomed and facing death on our own. The promise of Christmas is that every step we take in faith gets us closer to the light, gets us nearer to rescue, gets us one step nearer to those eternal arms gathered around us and holding us in and keeping us safe, rescuing us. We will not die, but live. Death is not the end. Death is not finality. The Bible is a story of how God loved his people. That's a nice piece of tanzanite there in a heart shape. And he led the people step by step. The Bible is progressive revelation of what God is like and how he cares for people. What you read at the beginning is not what you read at the end because God has revealed himself to a people whom he led step by step through the darkness you, you understand the whole of Scripture by reading the whole of Scripture, and by the end you realize that we are being called through into the light. Through Jesus the Christ, born of a virgin. The Christmas story of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his only begotten son, to be light for us. So on the day that we think we'll be trapped in the darkness, he shines through anyway. Marvellous. Living a life without wrong, living a life without darkness and sin. What will it take to make this world right? I've actually heard someone this morning on some Radio 4 program saying, what on earth will it take to make this world right, to stop people doing these things? And the answer is, it will take God himself to step into this world and live a holy and pure life and be nailed up on a cross by the violence of humanity and be spat on and reviled by the hatred in human hearts so that he can take it, he can deal with it and pay the price for it, and he can forgive it and then give us the mandate to do the same. Because you don't see Jesus in his body here anymore. He said, I am the light of the world. But then he said, you are lights for the world to his disciples and to us. And so in this world of darkness, the light now resides here in us, here among us. In Christmas time, the voice of the Father calls individually to each one of us, come nearer to me. Come to where you hear me calling. Take one step, then take another, until eventually you'll find the light and we'll be going through together into an eternity of what Isaiah describes as a place of peace. How pertinent is that word for our age, that every weapon is going to be destroyed and turned back into plowshares. Every blood-soaked garment, it says, is destined for the fire. All of that stuff will end. All of that will be dealt with. And as Isaiah and Micah, his contemporary, said, We're going to live, each of us, under our own vine tree. I guess there will be global warming. Each of us will be in peace. It says nothing will make them afraid anymore. There will be no more fear in the kingdom of Christ.